Good morning, Watermark, family of God. Welcome to the outdoors. You're not cooped up anymore, praise God. So thankful, dude, four days shut in. Us parents got a, got a sentence handed down to us with four days of school cancellation. Uh, I walked out to my car on, I think it was on Wednesday because I had to go somewhere, but I didn't have an ice scraper and, and there was a sheet of ice over my windshield. And so I go into the garage and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't have an ice scraper, what do I have? And so I grabbed this, it's like a putty knife for mortar. I'm here to tell you, this is the best ice scraper ever invented. It's been marketed wrong, Lee. And dude, just like took it right off. So get yourself an ice scraper. I show this because this is, this is a, an unexpected tool for the problem at hand. Like that's not what you would, this is, this is for masonry. This is an unexpected tool for the problem at hand. And so it is in the passages we're gonna see today. God's gonna give us an unexpected tool for the problem of suffering. He's gonna say in the midst of suffering, the tool that I've given you is praise. This tool of praise is going to take you out of the, the presence and power of suffering that you'd be able to look upward and escape it all as you look and praise and set your eyes upon the Lord and not on the present pain. I was also throughout the week, you know, you're like there indoors, can't really do anything. I started researching uh, wine, a particular vineyard of wine. If you know my story, I was a recovering alcoholic. Like, you're like, oh man, it must've been really bad in your house. Like four days in and you're researching wine. It's not because of that. It's because I, one time, and I, was, I had already been sober, the Lord had sobered me, but somebody was talking about wine in my presence and I'm like listening to it. And I'm like, I'm never gonna forget what you just said. And so here, like years later, I'm, I'm Googling Howl Mountain because I remembered the name because of what the person said. So Howl Mountain is like this kind of rare, prized, incredible wine, I suppose. I'm never gonna have it, in the, you know, not in this life at least. And the reason why it's so esteemed and valued is because of the difficult condition in which this vineyard grows. And so Howl Mountain, has what is called diurnal temperatures. Di meaning two, it's got extreme temperatures. It's got really warm days and then really cold nights. And so the warm days creates the sweetness of the fruit and then the cold nights because of the variance like locks it in and keeps it because of the extreme cold night. In addition to that, because there's really no topsoil there, it's this volcanic uh, mountaintop the roots have to like make their way through this rocky volcanic ground in order to get enough nutrients from deep down within. And as a result, don't even have enough root nutrients really for much foliage, but instead all of the nutrient effort goes towards the fruit. And I'll never forget it because as I'm reading this passage on suffering, I'm like, that's it. That's in, in the physical life of that vineyard is the spiritual life in our reality. But the problem is, is we want that robust spiritual fruit without the difficulty of that deep root. And we want the sweetness of life without the cold, dark nights. But God has told us in his word that it is only from that deep root in me that you will bear that fruit, the Holy Spirit's fruit, and in 
in this paradoxical way that only God could do in the cold, dark night of suffering, there will come sweetness of life. And so today what we're gonna talk about is the praise of God, the praise of God in the surpassing joy of suffering, the surpassing joy in suffering, because we have received the hope of ages in Christ. As we continue today, TA kicked us off last week in this new series, First Peter, and led us through the first two verses and all that God has done. These are not throwaway introduction, rather this is the, the goodness of God there in the first two verses. And Peter is going to continue now as we go through verses three through 12 in the first chapter. I wanna tell you three things before we read this passage. And it's like so important, like to step out and not just be like, okay, first Peter, like this is a deep theological book. This is a fisherman. This is some backwoods Galilean fisherman. In fact, in Acts chapter four, when Caiaphas and Ananias, they're, they're persecuting Peter and John for proclaiming the name of Jesus because they're like, well, we, we crucified him under Roman authority. And now you guys are proclaiming and raised from the dead. It's like, you've got to stop. And they're like, hey, you can decide whether we follow you or God. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna preach Jesus. And it says that they saw them. They were bewildered by the two of them. They were bewildered by this old fisherman. And they said, because he was a a grammatos idiotes, which a grammatos, that's without grammar, that's uneducated idiot. It's from where we get the term idiot. Like, who is this uneducated idiot that we can't stop? And they're like, because he spent time with Jesus. And he went from like fisherman of the deep to deep theologian through which doctrine and blood poured as he led the church. And the other thing that you're gonna see in this passage, it is incredibly doxological and Trinitarian in nature. Doxological is a construct of doxa, which is glory, and logos, which is words. It's words of glory to God. It's, it's, it's all praise to God, and it's one giant run-on sentence. The Holy Spirit, as leading Peter, starts to pin these words, and he just goes off in praise to God. And as it's praise to God, he thus speaks of the three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, as he just pours forth glory and praise and all of the benefits to mankind. So this is not a humanistic passage of like, what's in it for me? But rather, because of what God has bestowed to us in his grace, he's like, oh my God goodness and just bursts forth in praise and awe and wonder and glory and honor as we just did. With that in mind, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to, here's, you can like start to feel the run on, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and are filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ in the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Here's our outline for today. The praise of God. There's the doxology, the praise of God. This is verses three through five. Then we're gonna do surpassing joy in suffering. That's verses six through nine, and then finally, the hope of ages, verses 10 through 12. So first, the praise of God. This doxological run-on sentence that begins here, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Already we have a beginning of the Trinity with the first two persons of the Trinity mentioned. The Spirit will be at the bookend conclusion. It says, according to his great mercy, Mercy is not getting what you do deserve because we had sinned against God, we deserve death and hell forever. Separation from God instead is like, according to his mercy, instead of that, we've received this. He has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. There's there's nothing that we could do to cause ourselves to be born again. It says in Ephesians chapter two that though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us alive. Think about if a a person was dead, flatline, on the table, and then from an outside force, the defibrillators, compressions, mouth to mouth, just bringing them to life. There's nothing that dead person could do. Dead is dead. And there's nothing in them that could cause them to be alive. And so God, as an outside force acting upon us, dead in our sin, has caused us to be born again. We're physically alive, though spiritually dead. This is why in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus' response, he's like, well, I'm already physically alive. What am I going to do? Be physically born again? Can a man enter again into his mother's womb? And Jesus is like oh man, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? Yes, you're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead in your sin. So you're physically alive. You must be spiritually born again. And only God can cause that, can cause you to be born again. But it's not just to be born again. It says we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the resurrection, that that this living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is incredibly important for us because we alone as Christians 
have a living hope. A hope is a noun, and biblically, hope is not like wishful thinking, toss a penny in a well and make a wish. It's not what ifs or I hope one day. Biblically, a hope in archaic language is a trust. You think about like a financial trust. It, it is there, it is yours. There is, a, there is a certainty in the future as a hope. I told my son as one of his Christmas gifts, I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll take you to a wings place and we're gonna watch a game on TV. And he reminds me of this all the time. Like, when are we gonna go? When are we gonna go watch a game at a wings place? I can't take him to a sports bar and I shouldn't be one in one anyway. But, uh, and that's a hope that he has because I told him, it's not wishful thinking. I told him we're going and we will go. We now have a hope, but it's living. That the attributive adjective is that this hope is, is living. And how can what you sense or feel or know to be true be living? It's because it's in Jesus. It says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the reason why we can have that hope and why it is living is because Jesus is living. He has been raised from the dead. I was reading recently in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And underneath Rome, there are the catacombs, just this porous rock where the, the poor and the, and the Christians who were hated would be buried underground. They weren't given the, the prime land to have a proper burial, so they were, they were literally buried in the catacombs beneath Rome. And as they discovered the Christian graves that were that were marked with hope and symbols of a, a sheep upon a shepherd's back and, and scriptures, they came across a, a pagan's epitaph. They would, they would put mortar across the front of the tomb and the pagan epitaph, you contrast this with a living hope. Here's what it said. Live for the present hour, since we're sure of nothing else. Already just like the, it's haunting. Live for the present hour because we're sure of nothing else. I lift my hands against the gods who took me away. At the age of 20, though I had done no harm, every person has sin. Once I was not, now I am not. I know nothing about it and it is of no concern of mine. Traveler, curse me not as you pass for I am in darkness and cannot answer the haunting reality of all of mankind apart from Jesus that lives without a living hope, that when they die, they have no idea what's on the other side. And so you think about Islam, Muslims who are following Muhammad and yet he is in the grave. He can't tell you what's on the other side of death because he is dead in the grave. You can visit his tomb. Or the founders of Hinduism who wrote the writings of the Bhagavad Gita, like they can't tell you what's on the other side because they didn't raise and come back to tell you. Or the founder of Buddhism, Siddhartha Gautama, who is still, his body, his remains are in the temple of the tooth. You can visit them to this day. Christianity alone, Jesus dies for our sins, raises from the dead and says, I've seen the other side. I have gone to prepare a place for you. You have a living hope because I live, so shall you. It's because of the resurrection that we have this living hope. We praise God for our salvation. He has caused us to be born again. And then in verse four, we praise him for our eternal expectation. Not just our salvation that we've been born again, but our eternal expectation. It says, to an inheritance 
that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so here you've got, he's saying like, apart from decay, that's where it says that it is imperishable, undefiled, that means no evil can touch it, and it says unfading, no passage of time can touch this. That not death or decay, nor any evil, nor any amount of time can ever keep you from the inheritance, the eternal expectation that awaits you if you were in Jesus. When Laura and I were first married, we had this rent house and somebody broke in. And all that would have been in that house, like we don't keep our money there, our money's in the bank. Like you, that, that burglar was never gonna touch our, our <laughs> meager savings. They could have got an old laptop and some Craigslist, Craigslist furniture. Like that's it. Because our, our, our treasures weren't stored there. And in the same way, God's like, hey, in this life, you're gonna encounter suffering and no death, no evil, no amount of time will ever take from you what I am keeping for you in heaven. You have salvation and an eternal expectation. And then thirdly in this passage, praise God for his protection. This is crazy. Verse five, who, as you, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Y'all, right here it says that God's power guards us through faith. The, the term here is a military term, this guarding, akin to like Psalm 34, where it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he will deliver them. This, this it's mind-blowing because in military terms, the general or the commander, he would be somewhere and then the troops would surround him. Here, God flips that and he's like, no, no, I'm God. You're actually gonna be the middle and me, sovereign ruler, Lord of all, I'll be around you. Kingdom upside down, like who am I that you would guard me? He's like, I'm God and there is no other way. You can't guard yourself. You're about to walk through fiery trials. I got you, I'll guard you by my power. And so there's no amount of like gumption, try harder, bootstrap of, of anything that we would have that would guard us. No amount of strategy, no amount of like New Year's resolution, but that it is God's power who guards us. And it begs the question, it's like, well, I don't, I don't feel very guarded. You know, with the sickness that's come and the diagnosis that has come and how my boyfriend just treated me or the brokenness from my family of origin or whatever's going on at work. Like where you, you say your guard, that your power is guarding me? He says, through faith. Yes, through faith. As you walk by faith and not by sight, it says elsewhere. And it says that without faith, is it impossible to please God? And so we set our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And so we're trusting in the word of God that says, if you say you're guarding me by your power, then amen, let it be so. And no matter what I see or feel, in my circumstances, I'm going to look above doxologically. I'm, I'm going to praise you for your protection knowing that you will carry me home because it says there at the balance of the passage, ready to be revealed in the last time. Orrin Martin, our equipping director, sent me this quote, it's incredible, by J.I. Packer. It says, he wills also, God wills also to guide us, ensuring 
Because it's not just evil from without, it's evil from within. Like, man, you're guarding me from maybe circumstances or whatever, but he's like, and I'm gonna guard you from yourself too and the evil within, the flesh. He says, ensuring that whatever happens, whatever mistakes we make, we shall come safely home. Slippings and strings, there will be, no doubt. But the everlasting arms are beneath us. We shall be caught, rescued, restored. This is God's promise. This is how good he is. And right there in verse five, it is God's promise. It says, who by God's power are being guarded. And guess what verb tense that's in? Present tense. So you've got the past tense where it says he has caused us to be born again. That's past. I got you in the past. Then he says, kept an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. That's future. And then he moves to the present and says, who are being guarded by God's power. He's like, no matter what has happened, what will be, what's here, I got you. I've got you all the way safely home because of Jesus and let it result in resounding praise that we would praise him again and again. He's caused us, keeps us, and guards us. And may it be praise, as this brother just said, amen. The praise of God. Now we'll see the surpassing joy and suffering. I say surpassing joy and suffering because no matter what trial is entrusted to you, and I choose that word carefully, entrusted to you, sovereignly allowed in your life, there will be surpassing joy given to you in the sorrow, in the suffering, because it is God's promise in his word. So first, the paradox of suffering. Suffering, joy, surpassing joy in suffering, and now first we have the paradox of suffering. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, and it is, it is necessary. It says the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also do the comfort of Christ. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. It says in this you rejoice. And if, and if we don't read carefully, it'd be like, what, what you, are you crazy? Like, are we masochists in this we rejoice? Though we're facing trials of various kinds, like what? Why would I rejoice at this loss or hardship or difficulty or strain? Like, that's crazy. And the this, the word this, is everything we have just read. He says, in this we rejoice, that God's got your salvation, your eternal expectation, and God's got you protection. He's got you all the way through. And in this we rejoice, although right now we're in these fiery trials that we can rejoice, we have surpassing joy and praise even in the midst of these trials. My kids, they go to a watermark doctor, Dr. Abby Smith. They used to go to a, a different practice, but now when we're like, hey, it's, it's time to go get a shot, they're like, that's okay. They literally, they're like, that's okay, it's not a big deal because they know that when they're done with their shot, they will get to choose a prize, a sticker, and a lollipop. And so they're focused on the, the future promise rather than on the present pain. In fact, my kids, they'll go, they'll literally testify. They're like, they're like yeah, they use, they use better needles. They don't, they don't hurt as bad. <laughs> I'm like, I hate to break it to you. The needles are the exact same. But do you see how that future hope, that promise, 
makes my kids believe the needles are different. The sting of suffering feels different when you look not to the present, but to the future. Future focus gives present power. Future focus, this world's passing away, gives you present power. It did for Jesus, as it says in Hebrews, that as he looked forward, he went to the cross. For the joy set before him, it says, knowing this is not the end. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's a Watermark family, Justin and Michelle Smith, got awesome kids. One of their kids, Mila, has a medical condition that has caused her to have more surgeries at the age of six than I have in my entire life of 47. Just an, an affliction that she lives with. And I ran into Justin yesterday. I'm always, I'm always praying throughout the week, like, Lord, lead me. I don't wanna just give a good message. I wanna be led by the Spirit. Like, what did you have me say? And I'd, be, I'd been thinking about the Smiths because of the suffering they walked through with this precious daughter of theirs, Mila, who's just like full of joy, even in her suffering, which is an example in and of itself. And I run into him at a kid's basketball game. And I was like, oh, Justin, that's, man, it's crazy that I'm running into you. It's like, I'm, I've been thinking about you. I'm teaching on suffering tomorrow. And I've just thought about you all. And uh, it's about praise in suffering. No rehearsal, no cue. What comes out of that brother's mouth? He goes, oh yeah, John, it's, it chokes me up. He's like, it's true. My greatest praise has come from my deepest lament. I was like, what? What they're walking through? He's like, my greatest praise has come through my deepest lament. That when he is hard pressed, what comes out is praise. That is surpassing joy in suffering. My wife, Laura, Right when we were like first married, she, she starts a, an iPhone note, you know, the little yellow and white note on, a, on an iPhone. She starts this note and she titles it, On Suffering. And I'm like, what, is that because we just got married? Like, why did, you just, why did you just start that On Suffering note? Just curious. And she didn't know why. She wasn't going through anything hard. It was like her first few years of marriage. And she just kept this running list of quotes and verses and books and songs on suffering. And now, you know, 11 to 12 years in, like you just scroll through that thing. Like it's, it's a long note. And then breast cancer hit a year and a half ago. She got a diagnosis that she had invasive breast cancer. And that girl was ready. God had been preparing her all along knowing that, hey, suffering is coming. That's one of the promises of scripture. You will suffer. I mean, from, from Genesis and the fall as sin entered into the world and sickness entered into the world and Satan began to attack and hate God's people. You see it in Job. Hey, I'm gonna attack, I'm gonna kill his family. There was death. I'm gonna give you sickness. I'm gonna strike all of your finances. And God's like, well, don't, don't take him. And there was, there was affliction. And then we get to 2 Corinthians 1 where it says the sufferings of Christ overflow to us. It's not optional. It says everyone who desires to live a life of godliness will be persecuted. It says in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, 
Paul writes, it says to strengthen the church. Here's how he strengthened the church. He said, it is through many trials and tribulations that you must enter the kingdom. Not that you might, you must enter the kingdom. Your, your savior suffered and you will as well. That is the promise of scripture so that we wouldn't be surprised as we live in this fallen world and glorify God in the midst of all of that. And so Laura has this note about all of that, knowing that suffering was coming and we're gonna make it available to you all. And, and not because she like aced the test, but because I think what God has given to her as truths to encourage her in the day of suffering, you're, you're gonna have now too. Um, it'll be in the sermon guide as a link that you can click on. God's purpose in suffering, like, well, well, why? Why is this like, we have some like cosmic torturer? Like, why would he allow suffering? I, I get it that Jesus had to suffer, but, but why us? He says, so that the, verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. First he said, if necessary. Now he says that there's a testing happening, not a destroying, a testing. It says in Proverbs 17, three, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but God tests the heart. More precious than gold that perishes through the fire may be found in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, this is crazy. There can, there can be two intentions, but only one outcome with suffering. Suffering can have two intentions, but one singular outcome if you are in Christ. You see, Satan means for it to discourage you and destroy you. And God means for it to you to strengthen you and press you into dependence upon him. With gold, there's both smelting and melting. Smelting is the removal of impurities. That's when you take the raw ore, you heat it to 3,000 plus degrees, and all the impurities that have gripped onto it through time are burned off. But then you just have this like amorphous shape of gold. So then you heat it again within a foundry and shape it to whatever purpose you might have for it. And so Peter's writing here, knowing that suffering's coming, writing under the reign of Nero, he says there's going to be a smelting, it's gonna be a testing that's gonna remove impurities. And so trials God uses to remove greed, lust, ego and pride, control, worry, fear, that as we go through the passage of trials, those things are burning off. And then he's shaping us into the image of Christ as a useful vessel to bring glory to him and to proclaim Christ to the world. Two intentions, but one outcome. It says in Genesis 50, 20 of Joseph who suffered at the hands of his brothers. Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, there's an intention. You sold me into slavery, left me for dead. I got imprisoned, accused of rape in a, in a foreign land. What you intended for evil, God intended for good for the saving of many lives. It's like spiritual jujitsu. Jujitsu is this like martial art where you use your opponent's strength and weight to flip it on them. They come at you and you turn it on them and pin them down. God's like, hey, Satan, this fallen world, the brokenness, other people's sin, even your sin, it's going to come at you and I'm gonna flip the script. I'm gonna use all that coming against you. I'm gonna flip it and I'm gonna redeem it for your good. And only God can do that. You can't. So we take shelter under the Lord 
and trust in him in our difficulties, in our testing. We submit and surrender, glad submission, being like, not my will, your will be done, as Jesus prayed in the garden. Or as Job said, when suffering came upon him, it says he tore his clothes, put ashes upon his head, fell to the ground and worshiped. That when hard pressed, what came out of Job was worship. And he said, the Lord takes, the Lord gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then later he would say, though he slays me, yet I will praise him and I will talk to him to his face. He, he knew, Job knew, my God's sovereign. He's not asleep at the wheel. He's not cosmically torturing me. I live in a broken, fallen world. And though he didn't know what was going on between Satan and our Lord, he trusted himself to a sovereign savior. He's like, hey, my, my life is in your hands. So your will be done. And I'm gonna praise you through the storm. Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. It's interesting he says, I have learned, because that's not our natural reaction. Like when affliction comes to be like, to, to greet it, he's saying I've learned to kiss the waves like a greeting, a, a welcome. He's saying, I have learned. It's not, it is not intuitive, but I've learned that when these afflictions come, these waves of grief and sorrow and trials, I've learned to welcome them knowing that what they are going to do is thrust me upon the rock of ages, slam me into the rock of ages, which is a grace to us because our natural inclination is not to be dependent upon the Lord. And so God will allow these sufferings to come that we might be in greater dependency upon our immovable rock of ages. And it says in that passage, it says, will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise, glory, and honor, and you're like, well, for who? For me or for Jesus? And you know what? Theologians are, are torn on it. And I would say, for who? The answer is yes. Because we are given eternal rewards, and at the same time, all praise, glory, and honor is due unto Jesus. And so I think it's going to be like the elders, the 24 elders at Revelation, where they have received crowns. And when they see Jesus fall to their knees and cast their crowns to him, worthy is the lamb. Like all glory to you, Psalm 115.1. Not to us, but to you be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. And it says that the revelation of Jesus Christ... You remember I told you to, to focus on the future, which gives you power in the present. Future focus gives you present power. It says that the revelation of Jesus, in the midst of this suffering, he says, fix your eyes on the revelation of Jesus. It's the second coming of Christ. He's like, that's, that's your hope. Your hope is in the coming of Jesus Christ. Here we have the second coming of Christ written in 1 Peter, and guess what? 318 times the Holy Spirit through the New Testament authors mentions the second coming of Christ. He's like, in this troubled world, remember, Jesus is coming again. He's gonna make all things new. And if he delays for the salvation of the lost, you will go to him, but he is coming again and a new heaven and new earth. That's the end of this. 
I was recently teaching our, our five-year-old how to ride his bike and, he, and, he's, and he's cruising along and he keeps looking down and when he looks down, he wobbles. And I was like, Judd, Judd, look up and pedal, look up and pedal. And I've got my hand on the back of his neck. I'm guarding him by my power. Correlation, if you're listening. And I'm guarding him by my power. And I'm like, look up and pedal, look up and pedal. And he'd look down, look up and pedal. You look down, you're gonna wobble. And so it is with us spiritually. Jesus is telling us like, look up, look up and pedal. Don't, don't stop and fret and worry and be paralyzed by fear. You look up at the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ and pedal in me, I got you. And then you have the proof of suffering. This is amazing. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and are filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. T.A. began last week and said, hey, he wrote this to the dispersion, like to all the people, Cappadocia and Bithynia and all these Gentiles that were scattered throughout well, the ancient Near East and Rome and, and what he's saying, Peter's like, you've never even seen him. Like I saw him, I saw the resurrected Lord. I walked with him, I talked to him, I saw him ascend unto heaven. You've never seen him and yet you love him. You've never seen him, he goes on to say, and yet you believe in him. And the belief there is not like, I, I know you historically existed. It is, I have put my trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. My trust is in you and nothing else. He's like, you, you love him and you believe in him. You've never even seen him. Let me tell you what's happening, Gentile believers. It's proof of your salvation. It's proof of life. Like, this is not just a commonplace thing that you think some man walked and talked and Jerusalem was crucified and raised from the dead. You love him though you've never met him. You believe in him though you've never met him. And here we are 2000 years later, filled with a room of people who love him and believe in him. And Peter by the spirit is saying to you, that is proof of life, proof of being born again, proof that you have received salvation for your souls. It's the proof following suffering. Laura, when she was pregnant with our third penny, uh, she had horrible morning sickness. Uh, people told us it was because of the hormones of a daughter, but that's a different topic for a different thing. And uh, so there she is, throwing up in the toilet. She's not showing at this point. No one would know she's pregnant. She throws up, and I'm like sitting in the bedroom like, oh man, I'm glad I'm a guy. <laughs> and so she's vomiting, and then the second she's done, she's like, thank you, God, thank you. Thank you for what this means. Thank you that there is life in me. Thank you, Lord, for this child, not even knowing is it a boy or a girl. Or She's, she's in the midst of suffering and, and praise is coming out. And so it is with us that as we walk through suffering, the praise that's coming out is proof of life. Just as there was proof of life in Laura, there was another child growing. It's proof of life, your faith in Jesus, if praise comes out in the midst of the furnace. Looking over at dear friends, the wolves, who've been in a furnace, and praise comes out. And here they are worshiping. The praise of God, the surpassing joy and suffering, and finally the hope of ages the hope of ages, 
verses 10 and 11, it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace, you began with mercy, now we have grace, getting what you don't deserve, that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time, the spirit, now we have the Trinity, the spirit of Christ, because the spirit was teaching them of Christ, like I'm writing to you about the one who is to come, the suffering servant who will die for the sins of the world and be raised again, showing that it was not just man, but God in flesh, no mere teacher or prophet or moral man. He was God in flesh, is God in flesh, raised from the dead, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What they wrote is now our hope. What they wrote is now our hope. And what I would offer to you is that from Genesis chapter three, where it says, the snake will strike the heel, but the seed, the son of the woman will crush the serpent's head, Genesis three. And every prophecy that has followed, that Isaiah nine, the virgin will be with child. And Isaiah 53, that he will be die between criminals and yet laid in a rich man's tomb and will see the light of life, there's the resurrection. Or Psalm 22 where it says, my feet, my, my hands and feet you have pierced and they have cast lots from my clothes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or behold, your king comes to you riding on a donkey, Zechariah. Or Micah that says he will be born in Bethlehem. All the prophecies of scripture that they were like, who and when is the one coming, the hope of ages who will save us? You tell me any other holy book, which is not holy, that can tell you of the things to come. There is none. These are the words of God written to us and we have now received the hope of salvation. The hope of ages has come to us. The rest is details. I get, we get so tripped up by my, my, my car trouble and how am I gonna pay for college and the sickness and everything. And God's like, no, no, it's details. It's all fleeting. It's, it's moss food and rust rot. Like you've received the hope of ages all of time culminating in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says that it was revealed that they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news. It's good news. Though we are sinned and separated from God, he sent Jesus that we could be reconciled back to him by placing our faith in him to you by the Holy Spirit. Trinitarian doxological passage. Things into which angels long to look. It's like even the angels are peering down like, God, what are you doing? What is this? this is, you're going to them to die, to suffer and die for them? And then it says subsequent glories, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the second coming of Christ, the reign of the kingdom of God on earth when all the nations will come and worship him, then a new heaven and new earth, all the subsequent glories. He's like, this is the hope of ages. And yet we miss it. We're like, get so focused on the present. My father-in-law gave me and my son uh, Mavs tickets. So we're there at the Mavericks game and <laughs> the announcer comes over the speaker and is like, ladies and gentlemen, if anyone would commit to being a designated driver for the evening, you will receive a free signed Mavericks team photo. And my son's like, 
what's a designated driver? And I'm like, I am, boy. <laughs> 17 years running. He's like, you are? Go get it. I was like, yeah, 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 I will, I will. I, um, I, wanna, see the, I wanna see the opening where the teams come out. He's like, okay, okay. Teams come out, dad, go get the photo. Well, hold on, this is, this is tip off. I don't wanna miss this. Dad, go get the photo, it's free. You're, you're a designated driver, it's, you, you, you qualify, it's you, go get it. I'm like, I don't know, the first quarter's kinda close, son. I will at halftime. Halftime, I wanted popcorn and refills. And then it comes to the end of the game, it's like, dad, go get it. It's like, it's, it's closed, son. It's, it's over, we have to leave now. And he looked at me like, what? It was free. You qualified for it. Why didn't you go get it? Friends, today, today, the only thing that qualifies you to receive this free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ is that you're a sinner, that you confess, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. And that you receive it. I, I couldn't buy that autographed thing. I couldn't say, hey, I'll work for it. It just was free if I qualified for it. And so it is today that you would receive the free gift being offered to you by Jesus. If you just come forward and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Today can be the day of salvation. The hope of ages has come to you. You have the praise of God, the surpassing joy and suffering, and then the hope of ages. You remember the, the harsh conditions of Howl Mountain and the, the fruit that it produces from the root and the sweetness. We had harsh conditions this past week in Dallas. I don't, I don't need to remind you, but no one fretted. Like we had, we had ice sheets covering every road, all of our cars. Like it was not a great place for four days, but no one panicked. Like there wasn't, there wasn't rioting in the streets. No one's breaking into grocery stores. It's like for one reason, there was one reason that there was not pandemonium and panic, there was one reason, the forecast. <laughs> no matter how terrible those four days were, we could just pull out our phone, listen to the news and be like, oh dude, Sunday is gonna be sunny in 63. So come what may, like the sun's coming out again. And here it is, the Lord is telling us, no matter what storm you face, no matter what difficulty you face, no matter what trial you are in, the sun is coming again and light will break forth. And the, the ice of death and the chill of loss is going to melt and thaw and we will be forevermore in this forecasted place in time where there is no tears, sorrow or pain. He is promised and may it all result in resounding praise. Amen, amen. Let's pray. And I love the fact that some of you can't help but contain the shouts of joy and the applause. And it's not because of me, it's because you can't contain the inexpressible joy that we just read about. How good is our God? And so we lift our voices to you, Lord into the throne room of heaven, overflowing with praise, this fragrant offering. We are not singing words on a screen, we are singing through our risen Savior. And if anyone in this room has not received the free gift offered to them today, I pray that after this service, they would walk forward 
and not delay, not neglect the kindness of God, but would walk forward at the end of the service and say, I'm, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved, and that the day could be the day of salvation. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Thank you. Amen.